for like an eight foot tall man. <laughs> so I wanted you to actually see my face today. Uh, it is, I am excited about being here today. Um, my name is Jeep Underwood. I'm the campus pastor of Church in the Valley. This is, uh, this is a new thing. If this is your first time coming, uh, it's my first time as the official pastor. So, uh, so buckle up, Buttercup. Uh, no, I just, honestly, I've just really, really been looking forward, uh, to speaking today. And we're starting a, we're starting a new series, uh, just looking at perspective. The name of the series is Perspective. And it's really, it's really important to have the right perspective on how life really works so you can line up with it. And this series we're going to be looking at, uh, we're going to walk through some foundational aspects of what, how life really works, what God desires to do in our lives and our community. And also what we as a church can do really to participate with him and what God's doing in the world. So we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks, looking at perspective. I thought I'd start off today and just look at just the definition, some definitions of perspective from the Cambridge uh, Dictionary. Uh, The ability to consider things in relation to one another accurately and fairly. And if something is in perspective, it is considered as a part of a complete situation so that you have an accurate and fair understanding of it. It's just so important to have a real good perspective on what's really happening in the world and make sure, and make sure that you're living in perspective, that your life really is connecting with the way life really works. Now, as I was thinking about this uh, talk and thinking about this topic, my mind went back. I thought of like when I first started riding the gold, uh, the gold line and the red line into downtown LA to go to work. My company started paying for it, so that's usually a real impetus for me. And uh, I started saving a whole lot of money from gas and parking. And so I you know, take the gold line, the red line to my work, to, and then I come back to Union Station on the red line. And come back on the red line, you know, I was like, okay, let's check this out. I get on the get on the train. You get there's doors on both sides of the train. But you walk in, the door that's open, and, and I just thought, well, I'll just come stand over here in the back and just kind of, uh, just kind of give room for people and figure this thing out. And we go to Union Station, and just before we get to Union Station, three or four people turn and face me. I thought, <laughs> are you expecting me to say something? Like, hey, how y'all? I mean, I thought, this, what's going on? And all of a sudden, the door behind me opened. I'm like, whoa, and I didn't realize my whole frame of reference was wrong. I turned around and the other door behind me opened and that was the way out. I went, now wait a minute. And then so I went, okay, and then so then I thought about it. Okay, when you come into Union Station, sometimes you go straight in and the door's on one side, the other sometimes you you weave over and they put you on the other side. And I just didn't know that. I went, okay. So then I thought, I didn't, it wasn't this big of a deal. You guys are going, Jeep, why are you telling us this? You know, it, it just wasn't like an earth shattering thing for me, but I just started thinking, well, okay, there's long trains and short trains. So maybe it's like the long trains go through and the short trains don't. And so, so I get in there and I'd, I'd ride it and sure enough, the wrong door would open. Ah, oh, geez. But, and then I, then I went, okay, it was a red line and a purple line. Maybe the red line goes through and the purple line changes. And that wasn't true either. I'd show up and be like, I'd be on the wrong, I'd, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But one thing I noticed is that there were several people in general that knew where the door was going to open up. They would turn. I would just watch them. Well, okay, I'll go with them. <laughs> okay. And they'd be right. And so then I thought, okay, i got to figure this out. What's going on here? So what I found, actually, I still don't know what's going on there. I don't know how they determine which goes where. I, 
it's, it's okay. I don't really need to know. But what I did learn, I started observing. I started really observing a lot more. And I, I realized that you could look through the end of the car you're in and see the next car. And so I started staring down there. And as we would come close to Union Station, you could see an angle start. I went, ah. And then I noticed there's a little area where you can actually see the tracks for just a minute, for just a second. And I could see if the train was moving away from the wall or not. And so I had this whole thing. So now, you know what? I'm one of those guys. And I know which door opens and when. And so that's it. I just wanted to share that with you this morning. But you know what? Uh, you know what? I, f- I finally figured out what was going on. And I figured out how to orient my life, as it were. I figured out how to orient myself so that I could actually know what was going on around me. You know, it's really, it's a lot like that in life. Um, you know, you go through life, if you, uh, in life you can really wind up standing in front of the wrong door. You can, you know, you, you look around and you see other people, they're turning around and they're able, like the doors are opening for them and, and they walk through doors, they have opportunities, There's, uh, they're making progress in life, they're making, having real success in different areas, and you're like, man, every time things come to me, the, I'm like on the wrong side and the door opens behind me and I'm just never in the right place. Um, so how do you, how do you gain an accurate understanding of what's really going on in the world so that you can really get your life, life in line with it? The place to start, the first thing is, you know, God is the only person who has an absolutely accurate and fair understanding of how life really works and of what reality really is because he created it. He designed it. He put it into motion and he knows how it works and he, he really wants to help us. That song we just sang before I came up here, He is for us. It is the most amazing thing. God's grace and His compassion. He didn't want to, He didn't leave us untethered in the dark. He really communicated to us to really help us understand just Himself and how reality really works through His Word. He, really, he revealed His Word to us and given it to us so that we could really understand how reality works. The image that's on our series, you, you see a guy, he's sitting up high on a rock looking down over a city and what he, he can see like the perspective of the, the mountains in relation to the water, in relation to the city, kind of sees the whole layout. And what the scriptures are for us, they're a vantage point. They're a vantage point by which we can understand and get the right perspective of reality. And that's what God gave them to him for, gave them to us for is that he really wants to do that. In fact, I want to, let's take a look at, uh, Psalm 32, 8 and 9. This is a God quote. And he says this. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. God, he has this strong desire out of his care and his compassion for us to really instruct us and guide us in the way we should go and really give us counsel that's like specific to our real life. It's with his eye upon us. He's taking his counsel and he's really helped. He wants to help us with that. The problem is, is that we tend to stubbornly resist what God says to do. That's why, that's why he says, you know, don't be a mule. Uh, we tend to stubbornly resist and you know, we've all, we've all developed our own thoughts on how life really works. They just developed over time. You kind of, kind of like me on the train. You're just trying to figure things out and you're trying to piece together like how reality really works. And 
we tend to use that view of reality that we've constructed as a grid that we filter all other input we get through. So this is kind of how life works. And then we filter the input we get through that grid. It's kind of like in a construction site, a lot of times we'll put engineered fill, like a bunch of earth that we need to build a dam out of or a, or a levee. And there's, we don't want big boulders in there, and I won't go into why, but we just, you just want to keep these big rocks out. And so we throw them through these grids. All this earth goes through the grid, and then the big boulders and the big rocks that are too big, they just they come out, and we separate them. And that's really a picture of how we tend to take this reality grid that we've come up with. That's how, that's how we use that to determine like what we take in and what we believe in. Um, so in our in our reality grid, it usually it's made up of it's made up of a lot of different things and experiences. Sometimes it's it's made up of like the way our the way our parents lived and the way they did life, or sometimes it's the opposite. Like you know, I, I depending on your relationship with your parents, maybe it's the opposite of what your parents did. That's kind of like what you believe in. Or, you know, maybe it's just what other people have said. You kind of piece things together. Or maybe it's like different parts of different religions. Like you like grab this piece, grab this piece, and you're kind of like, well, this is this is what I think reality looks like. Or it could be uh, maybe it's just what you makes sense to you. It's like it doesn't make sense to me. Maybe what's cool, maybe just self-reliance. There's all kinds of things that filter into this view that we have of how reality really works. But the thing is this. How your life turns out and how things go for you is really determined by the reality grid that you use. So if your reality grid really matches up with what reality really is, then you tend to make progress and make and have success in life. If your reality grid isn't lined up with reality, then you just keep winding up at the wrong door. And you just keep winding up like, where, how come I just can't seem to get things lined up? So I'd like us to take a look at uh, a verse from Deuteronomy 30 where Moses is talking and uh, just kind of take a look at what he says about what he, Moses has just recapped. It's just before he dies. And he's just kind of, is one of his, some of his last words. And he's kind of recapping what God has told him and the, and the word of God that he's given him. And he says this. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days. One thing he's saying there is he's saying choose the right reality grid. Go with what God says to do and, and things will really go well with you and with your descendants and with your kids. And he, he's describing, look at this, he's describing like a trusting relationship with God, a real trusting relationship. And so you come to this place where you're like, okay, well, am I, you have to make this decision. Am I going to use the scriptures, use the Bible as my reality grid? And you get, there's a, there's a couple points of, uh, like a, there's a crisis of trust that comes to that point. And I'd like to just cover just a couple of things about the, about the scriptures that we tend to, we tend to struggle with. One is just, is the Bible reliable? Has it, has it been passed down through time correctly? I mean, if you're going to bank your life on a document, is, is it really what God intended it for it to say? So that, that's one thing. Another thing is, is the Bible really real to our real life circumstances? Is the Bible really real to our real life circumstances? 
And so I'd like to look at just very quickly. There's so much. There are so much. So many lines of information and, and uh, evidence on these different things I'm going to talk about for just a couple minutes. But I just want to touch on just the reliability of the New Testament and the Old Testament. Just just some points that that uh, kind of points you can hang your hat on. A lot of times you'll hear people say, "Well, the Bible's just full of errors because it was written thousands of years ago and now it's been passed down and everybody keeps messing it up." Uh, I've heard that several times. Um, well, let me ask this. You know, we, about three years ago, our family went on a big trip. We, went, we just got back from a big trip, but our family went on this big trip. We wound up in Washington, D.C., and we saw the National Archives. We didn't actually get to go in because we went to everything else, but the National Archives, that's where they have the Constitution of the United States. And I was just thinking, you know, I wonder if, there was like, you know, like a horrible thing, like a fire was in the National Archives and the, con- the original copy of the Constitution was destroyed. Our, our country would probably go into a tailspin because we'd lose all frame of reference and there'd be no way we could ever run our country anymore because our document was gone. No, that, that's not true. That wouldn't happen. The reason that wouldn't happen is there are so many copies. There are so many copies of the Constitution in your textbooks, other books. You can just take those copies, you can orient them, and you can find out exactly what the Constitution says. So with the New Testament, I just there's a couple of just points of fact. Um, one is we have about 24,000 copies or fragments of the New Testament scattered through time. And, and they, they really, they agree and they relate with one another. Uh, the only other document, the only other document that comes Close to that level is, uh, Homer wrote a novel called the Iliad. And it was written, it was written in 900 BC. The earliest copy we have is 400 BC. So there's 500 years between when it was written and the earliest copy we have. And there's 643 copies that we have. That's incredible. I mean, we're, when you look at it, there's over 15,000 lines of text in the Iliad and, and 764 are only are in question. It's only a 5% variation. So we're very confident that what we are reading when we look at the Iliad is really, really close to what Homer intended when he wrote it. When you look at the New Testament, the New Testament was written between like 40 and 100 AD. And the earliest copy that we have is about 125 AD. So we, from the, la- the last part of the New Testament to the early first copy is about 25 years. Uh, a range of you know, 50 to 25 years. And um, in the New Testament, there's 20,000 20, lines of text. And of those 20,000 lines, only 40 are in question. When you relate all these copies together, only 40 lines are in question. And there is no foundational doctrine rest on those disputed readings. It's just a very, it's like a 0.5% variation. You're very, very confident that the New Testament we're reading is actually what was written and passed down. And so then just real quick on the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not quite like that. The Old Testament, uh, we have much fewer copies of the Old Testament. In fact, the earliest copy that we had until a few, several years ago was 916 A.D. So, you know, the Bible, the Old Testament was wrapped up about 400 B.C. So that's about 1,300 years of a gap. And... The reason, the reason for that, you know, so the, well, the question, well, let me start here. The question is, well, how can we be sure that, um, 
that what we've that what we have now has actually been transmitted through time. Now, I don't know you guys. I'll just tell you a quick story. I went to Carl's Jr. here uh, a few years ago. I actually go very often, but there was this time a few years ago. I went to Carl's Jr. and there's a typical thing that I would order at that time, and it was like they had this spicy chicken sandwich, it was real cheap, and cheap is my friend. So, so I just said, well, I take, uh, I'll take a, I always ordered the same thing. I like a spicy chicken sandwich, no mayonnaise, but ketchup and mustard added. I thought, you know, I can at least take a little bit of the problem off of this by not having mayo. So, I don't know how many times I've ordered that. So I go in, I order that. And I get the, you know, get the little wrapped up thing. I go over to the, over to my booth and I'm starting to unwrap it. And I was marked by a few things. One was, well, there was no mayo on it. So that was good. There was also no ketchup and there was no mayonnaise. I mean, no ketchup and no uh, mustard. And most strangely, there were 16 pickles. <laughs> now, <laughs> I don't know about you. I said, I know because I counted because I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe this mass of pickles. It was bigger than the chicken. And I opened it up and I thought, how did, how did no mayo add ketchup and mustard turn into dry with 16 pickles? I don't know. And I th- you know, think, well, if I can't communicate over the table what I want and get it back, then how can we know that the Old Testament was transmitted through time? You know, uh, it's a little bit bigger of a feat. Um, well, one thing to start with, the reason that there's not very many copies of the of the Old Testament is because the the scribes that copied copied the text they, they took this very very seriously. They had a whole rules about how they copied. They counted words, they counted letters, they counted lines. Everything that could be counted could be counted. The way they drew the letters was was specific. It was very very ritualized. And so when they got done, they had a perfect exact copy. And when they got done, they'd burn the old one. Because it's kind of like the way we, like if you have a really old flag, you're supposed to burn the flag because it's just not respectful. It was just kind of not respectful to have a worn out copy of the scriptures. So that's why there's not very many, there's not a lot of copies out there. And then in 1947, a shepherd boy was looking for a lost goat. And threw a rock into a cave, just fooling around. Can you go to the next slide? In the Dead Sea. And he hit one of these pots. And it broke. And so he, he walked in there like, what? And there's like all these pots. And so it, it became the find we called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, uh, in that, in that, uh, in that environment, there were many, many, many documents dated from 200 BC to 68 AD. And they were all, because of the arid environment, because they were sealed so tightly, they, they actually survived. And we could actually take them, we could decipher them, we could take a look at them. And I just want to touch, there's actually many, many things you could say about the Dead Sea Scrolls. But I just want to take a look. Can you go to the next slide? They found what they called the Isaiah Scroll. There, first of all, almost every Old Testament book is or has fragments included in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it could be like connected back to our copies and checked. They found this. It was, uh, it's 10 inches wide and about 24 feet long. And that is the book of Isaiah. And it's dated 125 BC. And when you compare it to the Bible, the Hebrew Bible that we use now for translation, 
it, it proven, it's proven to be 95% identical to what we, to what we had now. That 5% variation, it consists mainly of obvious slips of the pen and variations in spelling. There's nothing, there's nothing, almost, almost exact copy for a thousand years. And so we had this data point that's towards the front end and we're able to compare that to. And that, that is an absolutely amazing thing that, that that level of, of, uh, of, uh, carefulness in copying over the years has been proven. And so when you hold the Bible, take a look at this quote. This is, uh, Sir Frederick Kenyon. He was a former director of the British Museum. He said, the Christian can take the whole Bible in his hand and say without fear or hesitation that he holds in it the true word of God handed down without essential loss from generation to generation through the centuries. What you hold in your hand is exactly what God intended for you to have in your hand. It's been passed down. That's something you can know. The next thing I just wanted to touch on is, you know, is the Bible real in your real life experience? Um, have you, has anybody done a job interview recently? Just curious. There's a few. All right. Very fun. That's a real fun experience, isn't it? Yeah. No, not very stressful. You just walk in kind of, no, that's not true. But I had a, I had a job interview a couple of years ago. Now there's something about job interviews. They ask you things in job interviews that most people don't ask you. You know, they're like, uh, what's your philosophy of life? Oh, wow. Or what was your greatest failure? You go, wow, that, there's a, there's an icebreaker. <laughs> you know, you don't, people don't, you don't, you don't usually run into a good someone in the train and they say, well, what was your greatest failure? It's not really where you start, but in a job interview, you're given an opportunity. They actually want you to speak out of like your framework. There's a lot of questions about the framework within which you decide things and how you live your life. And so I'm, I took this, I was in this job interview and, uh, it was, it was a tough interview and I got through it. And then, uh, my boss told me the next day he came in. I was waiting to hear, you know, hey, how did it go? Wondering if I got the job or not. And he says, actually, there's a few of you that did pretty good on the interview. We're going to have a second interview, which I'd never heard of before in the Corps of Engineers. I thought, is that, is there a policy against that? You know, it's just, everything's policy. I said, okay. And then, and then he kept going. And he said, well, what we've done is we've written a scenario, like this really complicated scenario of what you might face as a manager of, you know, leading an organization. And then we have a couple questions at the bottom. You got 15 minutes, read through that scenario and be ready. We're going to call you in and be ready to answer those two questions. I'm like, okay. All right. Well, okay. Wow. I was going to say good morning, but, uh, so he just, so I just went to my, shut the door on my office and I went over to the side and I just said, God, could you help me just be ready to answer this? I'm going to read this right now. Help me just to understand like, you know, a framework of how I'd answer these. So I read through it in the scenario. I mean, you read it, it's like the worst scenario. It's like this huge, so much pressure. All these, all these deadlines are coming. Things are going wrong. I mean, you're reading this, you're going, well, actually, this sounds like last week. No. Uh, it's like, you know, I, I, I could recognize the environment, but it was a very tough environment. So I go into the interview and, and they, they're all, they're convened and they ask me those questions. And one of the questions was, was something like, you know, uh, in the midst of all this pressure, you have someone who really needs to get something done, but they don't, they're not getting it done. How would you handle that? And so I, you know, I was thinking of different times when that's act, that's actually something I had dealt with and, and how I dealt with it. And I told them, well, you know what I would, 
Well, what I'd do is for, I'd talk to the person and have a conversation with them and find out what was going on. And then I'd tell them, I'd just find out, maybe they just don't know how to do it, what I asked them to do. And they just need some help. And if I could just understand, they maybe don't feel freedom to just come to me and ask me, like, actually, I don't know how to get started. Maybe they need some help. I said, or I, oh, then I, you know, maybe I'd find out that they were completely overwhelmed because of the pressure of the situation. They felt like they just couldn't do it. And so maybe what I need to do is just give them some direction and just some encouragement and help them with it. And I said, you know, if I talk to them, I might find out they're just being stubborn and they just don't want to do it. I said, well, if I found that out, then I'm going to have to, do, I'm going to have to handle it a different way. And I'm probably going to, I would, uh, I would probably just be very direct with them and tell them, uh, you know, they, they've got till next Friday. And so they, so I answered that and I said, but what I would do with no matter what is I'd just be really patient with them and know that we're all under a lot of stress. So that was what I answered. Something like that. So then the next day, the interview went really well. My boss started debriefing me and we're talking and he goes, he goes, hey, you know, you did, you did really good in the interview. He says, where do you come up with stuff like that? <laughs> when they ask you those hard questions, where do you come up with that stuff? And I said, well, I said, Rick, I, uh, I gotta tell you that I can't really take credit for that. I said, that's actually just from the Bible. And he goes, Really? I said, yeah. I said, you know, just in First uh, Thessalonians 5.14, it just says, and we urge you, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. And I said, I, that's something I took to heart a long time ago, and it's just been just something that has really helped me like crazy. I said, there's a lot of things like that from the Bible that have really helped me. And he goes, huh, really? I said, yeah. Well, well, there you go. And then, then we've talked about something else. But, you know, guys, the, the scriptures, they really do give you a framework of how life really operates and how it really works. Um, and it, line, it lines up. And when you line up with it, you really do make progress. And you really do have some success in the things you're doing. And so how do you, uh, how do you begin to build a reality grid that you can filter things through that has that kind of, uh, that kind of outcome? I'd like us to take a look at uh, Psalm 1, 1 and 3. This is the psalmist who wrote this. He said, he said this, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Go to the next slide. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. That word prospers in the original language, it just means to make progress or to have success in the things he does. And what the psalmist does, he's just painting a picture of what it looks like if you have the right reality grid that you're, that you're making decisions through. And really what it looks like in your life. And you really begin to, you really do make progress. And so there's a couple of things he really highlights. He says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. One thing, if to build that grid, what you have to do is you have to pursue God's input uh, into your life as a treasure to be sought. So you want to invite God's input into your life as a treasure to be sought. And really, uh, and really just delight in it. Just take it in and really... And then he says, he meditates on it 
day and night. And so what you need to do is just deeply reflect on God's word and how God is speaking to an issue that you're currently facing. How does that connect to something you're currently facing? Really deeply reflect on that. And then, uh, and use that as part of your reality grid that you use when you're making decisions. And then follow through and do what he says. When you, when you begin to do that, you begin to really begin to have that life where you make progress. So to, as I wrap up the talk today, I want to, I want to go back to Moses and Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 30 about real close to the area we looked at before, but this is right after he communicated what God's word was to the people. He said this. He said, this, for this commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. You know, uh, God has recorded what he really meant for us to hear. It's been transmitted through time. And when you hold your Bible in your hand, you're holding exactly what God wants to communicate to you. And there's absolutely nothing in the way. There's nothing in the way of connecting with that. So I'd really just encourage each one of us to, to really do that, to really just pursue God through his word. And as we go on to the rest of the series... We're guess what we're going to be doing is looking at God's word and, and using it different parts of the framework of reality as we go through the next several weeks. So I'd like to I'd like to go ahead and invite the invite the band to go ahead and come back up. I'll go through some next steps. You know, maybe for you uh, this morning, maybe a next step is just to pursue the word of God as your primary reference point to really really begin to delight in it, get into it, and really think about it. and then. Maybe the next step for you is really to, to make some time. Maybe you've, you've had some connection with God. You really, you've got some things to think about. Really make time to deeply consider what God's Word says yeah, about what you're currently facing. And really choosing to make that the grid that you filter other grids through. And then uh, you memorize Psalm 1 through 3. Well, I have 1 verses 1 through 3. And just uh, try to get that picture implanted on your mind as just an inspiration. So I'm going to go and pray for us, and we'll get back to worship. Dear God, Father, i just uh, just very grateful to you for your word and that you care about us and that you really are for us. And, God, I just pray that as each one of us be just pursue you and your word, I pray that you'd really connect it to our real lives and give us real understanding about how we could uh, really connect it to the things we're really facing. God, I pray you to make a difference in our lives as we pursue you. In Jesus' name, amen.